Let's take our Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter, no, chapter number 4. We had a wonderful day today with Pastor and Mrs. Miller, just uh, enjoying the, the fellowship and the time that we were able to spend with them. Uh, it's been a blessing all week to be with you all, and so thank you for your faithfulness, and for those that watched online, thank you so much for your faithfulness as well. And so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. We'll read just a couple verses tonight. I want to preach this, uh, a message that I've entitled, Entrusted with Ministry. Entrusted with ministry. Look at verse number one. It says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry. See, ministry is far beyond, as I mentioned, I believe, earlier in the week. It's far beyond than what I do and what pastor does. Well, we'll find tonight that Paul is writing to this church of Corinth, and he wants them to understand that each and every one of them that were a part of the church truly have a ministry that's been given to them. So he says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we saw the aspect of mercy last night, that the fact that we are recipients of that mercy, and we are to portray that mercy. We faint not. Verse number two, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse number six, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. See, Paul is wanting us to understand that we have this thing of ministry. He goes into detail, verse number 8 through 18. We won't read all of it, but he talks about the aspect that we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. He's going to go into detail there at the end of that chapter of the challenges that often we face as believers as we seek to fulfill the mission that God has given to us. But before we get to the point where we don't allow the circumstances of the persecution or the, the angry responses that we get or the rejection that we may face, before we get to that and understand that we may be cast down but we're not destroyed, before we can understand all of it, we must fully comprehend first and foremost the ministry that each and every one of us have truly been entrusted with. You see, God has left us here on this earth to use us to spread the good news of the gospel. You see, He has you in a specific place that He wants to use you. You see, you are going to be able to reach individuals that I may never be able to reach. And also, I'll be able to reach people that you may not be able to reach, and vice versa. And we could go on and on and on with that. And so each and every one of us have a sphere of influence that we have the opportunity to be obedient to God's command. And it's this, to ultimately share the gospel of Christ. As I've mentioned, the responsibility of Christians can be summed up to glorify God, as we saw last night. And the other is to point others to Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said this. He said, the world hated me, and so it will hate you. So we ought to understand that as the world despised Jesus, there are going to be moments as we seek to be obedient to Jesus' command to share the gospel that we're going to be rejected. There are going to be moments of discouragement. But we must come to the grips and really come to understand what does Paul mean of this thing of ministry? As he says, we have this ministry. What ministry have we been entrusted with? Notice first tonight is the ministry bestowed. The ministry bestowed. So we see that word in verse number one of ministry. But really, I want us to look at the next chapter, chapter number five, to really begin to open up our eyes to understand exactly what is Paul wanting us to know about this ministry and what is it. And so look at verse number, uh, verse number 17. He says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we have this position in Christ. We are now a new creature in Christ. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by, who? Jesus Christ. And hath given unto us the, notice it very carefully, verse number 18 at the end of it, the ministry of reconciliation. So now it's beginning to be pieced together. Don't you see it? He mentions the ministry in, in chapter 4, verse number 1, and later in chapter number 5, verse number 18, he speaks of the ministry of reconciliation. Notice what he says in verse number 19, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of, what's that, that next word? Reconciliation. So now we've, we understand that Jesus, our trespasses were really imputed on him. He, he took our sin and bore our sin on the cross that day. And because of that, those that have been transformed radically by the gospel, now we've been entrusted with the word of reconciliation. So now we begin to take a glimpse into what Paul is wanting us to understand of this thing of ministry. We understand that the ministry bestowed is this, is that as God's chosen vessels and his vehicles to share the gospel, we are to point others to the fact that they can be reconciled unto God. Can I use these two mic stands here for, for a moment, just for an illustration? I want to help you get a picture of what has taken place because of Jesus Christ. Can everybody see those, see those pretty good? All right. Now, this mic stand right here is going to represent you and me. It's going to represent, you could say, the world or humanity. Let's just say the world, okay? So what does this mic stand represent? It represents the world, all right? The Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. And so we have this great problem, and it's this. We are all sinners condemned to this place called hell. And so we find that Romans 3, 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so now there's an issue and it's a problem of the fact that we as sinners cannot get to heaven on our own and in our own ability based on our sin. What is sin? Sin is anything I think, say, or do that breaks God's law. And so we all have violated and have broken God's law. And before you say, oh, I've only messed up once in my life, James says this, or, or I believe it's 1 John, 
1 John says this, if we offend in one point, we are guilty of all. And so when we break one of God's laws, we are guilty of the entirety of breaking his law. And so that causes us what? To all be sinners. So this represents the world. What does this represent? The world. So you and I, we're all sinners. This also represents the individuals that are at the gas station that you come in contact with. This also represents your neighbors, your co-workers, your boss. It represents those close friends and maybe distant friends that you have. This represents relatives. And so we find that we are all sinners condemned to this place called hell. Now this stand over here is going to represent God. What does this stand represent? It represents God. See, God is holy. The Bible says that God cannot lie. He is a holy God. He is a just God. And so because of that, because he is a holy God, he cannot allow sin into heaven. So now there's a great problem. We as sinners have a need of salvation because we can't get to God to this place called heaven. So now the question comes is, how do we know for sure our sins are forgiven? How do we get to heaven? You see, it can't be done on our own. See, there's a great problem with the fact that, that we as sinners, because we cannot get into heaven, and the reason why we can't is because as sinners, God is holy and he cannot allow that sin into heaven. And so we find that God is a holy God. And so now, according to what chapter number five says, is that it says that we are reconciled unto God by how? Through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is the only one that can reconcile us to bridge the gap, to make things right between us who are sinners and a holy God. And so Jesus came to die on the cross. Philippians 2 goes into detail of the fact that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Ephesians 2 says that we are made nigh by what? The blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as a perfect sinless sacrifice and he took our sins upon his body that day, hanging on the cross, despised, rejected. Why? So that you and I could be reconciled unto God. And so Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a promise of God that when you come in dependence on Jesus and him alone, that he'll save you. And so now this word of reconciliation becomes more real to those that, that need it. Of the fact that we as sinners cannot get here, but Jesus Christ came and reconciled the two together by how? The means of the cross. See, it's only through the cross and his resurrection that you and I can find true forgiveness of our sins. So let me ask you tonight, do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Have you been, as the Bible says, reconciled unto God? Has your account been made right? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? And if you don't, then tonight would be the night to get down on your knees and call out to Jesus and realize, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I deserve this place called hell and save me from my sin. And guess what? God, Jesus Christ, he does just that. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's his promise. He reconciled us unto God, unto the Father. So now we can have a close relationship with him. Now we can pray. 
now we can, we can begin to commune and have that close-knit fellowship that we are designed and created for. And so really, the, we as the climax of all God's creation, it was marred because of sin, and Jesus Christ came to really reconcile us back unto himself, unto God. And so, as we find here, we've all been entrusted and been bestowed with this opportunity, and it's this, to share that message. To point others and tell them how they can be reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. You could say it in another word that we're all familiar with, sharing the gospel. The gospel. And so we've all been bestowed with this aspect and this responsibility to share the good news of the gospel to those that are around us. Mark 16, 15, it says this, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That means we ought to go to our neighborhood and share the good news of the gospel. And that time that you spend with those friends, with those loved ones, you should take that moment to share the gospel with those that are in need of the gospel. And so we see the ministry bestowed. And so verse number, verse number one of chapter four, therefore seeing we have this ministry, we all tonight have the responsibility to share the gospel of Christ with those that are around us. Notice number two is notice the ministry betrayed. The ministry betrayed. Would you say that with me tonight? The ministry betrayed. Look at verse number two but have renounced. The word renounce simply means to declare one's abandonment, to refuse to abide any longer. So here's some things that we are told in the midst of this ministry and responsibility that each and every one of us have to share the gospel. These are some things that we ought to be careful of and make sure we don't allow into our hearts and into our lives. Look at what he says. But have renounced, abandoned, refused to abide any longer, the hidden things of dishonesty. See, the ministry is betrayed first by betraying it through dishonesty. Dishonesty. In other words, our conduct isn't matching what we preach. You see, it's easy to, for all of us, myself included, to say what needs to be done, but it's an entirely different thing to live out what we're saying. And if we're not careful in our life, we can get so bold and we can get so dogmatic with the things of the Word of God, yet our lives don't match up with what we're saying. And so the way that we often walk in dishonesty is when our life is not matching the message that we preach. And so we're told and we're warned to abandon this thing of dishonesty. We need real, authentic Christianity that's displayed. And so not only talking the talk, but also walking the walk. Rome, uh, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James three seventeen it tells us to live without hypocrisy. Let me ask you tonight, in this thing of dishonesty, is your walk and are your actions beyond Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night? Do your actions throughout the rest of the week match up with this book and the message of the gospel that you preach? You see, sometimes that can be a hard pill to swallow, especially when we're living contrary to that outside of the days that we're supposed to commit to God. See, oftentimes we, we put God in a box, don't we? We have all our different boxes that we, we operate in. And so Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that's the God box. Nothing 
really goes into it and, and that doesn't spill out into our everyday lives. Then we have the other box over here of work. The next box of, of our, our personal time. And so what do we do? We begin to say, okay, God, you only are allowed three hours out of the week that I commit to you and spend time with you and to learn from your word. But really, the God box should be this, and everything that we do should be within it, and we ought to live our lives according to what the Word of God says. And so we ought to really allow our lives to be authentic to those that are around us and be not conformed to the world. Notice number two is we betray through by mishandling the Word of God. Mishandling the Word of God. You see, when it comes to the Word of God, we ought to read it, and keep it within its context. You see, there are a lot of personal preferences out there that you won't find in the Bible. I'm not saying having convictions is wrong. That's good and great. If you have a conviction, then stick to it and don't compromise on it. But the moment that we begin to force our convictions on others that don't really match up with the Bible or isn't necessarily clearly laid out, we begin to start getting into these muddy waters of are we mishandling the word of God. Pastor and I today have, have had that talk of different preachers and different churches and different ministries that it's easy for them to really begin to, to read the word of God and they come out with something entirely different than what it says. And what is that? That's simply mishandling of the word of God. You see, we must be true to what God's word says, not what we want it to say. See, there are things that if we want to, we can twist in this book. We can find something and take it out of context and then get entirely extreme and say, okay, everybody around me has to follow this way. But understand, we must stay in context. We must stay true to what it says and not what we want it to say. And that even goes to the extent of obedience to what God's word says. Oftentimes what happens as Christians is we read the Bible and we kind of get a Saul syndrome, don't we, of 1 Samuel 15. That Saul was told to go in to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And what does Saul do? He has in his mind as the king of Israel, he thinks that, hey, I've got a better plan and I've got a better way. And so what does he do when prophet Samuel comes? He says, hey, we spared the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen to sacrifice unto God. Wow, Saul, what a noble thing to do, that you saved the best of the animals to sacrifice to God. Now, on the outside, in the exterior, that sounds really good. It sounds like an amazing thing what Saul and the children of Israel did but is that what God wanted, yes or no? No. He said, go in and utterly destroy all, all of what the Amalekites have and all of the Amalekites. But Saul, multiple times, tells Samuel, hey, we've done it to sacrifice unto God. But what does, Samuel, what does Samuel say? He says, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. You see, Saul had, came to a point where he began to think, well, I've got it maybe a little bit better figured out than what God does. And don't we find ourselves in that same point in place in life? We read what the Bible says and we say, well, maybe God didn't mean it to be too extreme. Or maybe God meant it in this way or that way. And we begin to, like Saul, begin to twist and kind of maneuver around it so that way we don't 
have to fully obey exactly what the Bible is saying. But what does God desire from us? He desires for us to be honest and true to the word of God and to live our lives according to it. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Jesus said in Matthew 22.29, ye do err, how? Not knowing the scriptures. See, error comes when we twist the scriptures and when we are unwilling to be obedient to the scriptures. Let me ask you, is your life tonight betraying the ministry by mishandling the word of God? You know what I challenge you to do is when pastor gets up to preach, get into the word of God throughout the week and say, okay, is this, is this exactly what the Bible says? I guarantee pastor won't complain. I didn't talk to him. I didn't ask him about it. But if you say, hey, uh, pastor, I know that you preached this passage and, and I, I noticed something in it that I'm not quite sure about and I'm, I'm kind of confused about. Could you explain it to me? After pastor needs to be picked up after a heart attack that somebody came and asked him, he would love to show you what it means from the scripture and how he came to that conclusion. See, there's nothing wrong with us as believers to dive into the word of God because there may be something that you see that he did not see, and guess what it does? Not only does it sharpen you and help you, but it also sharpen him, and vice versa. You see, we are all called to be true to the word of God and to get into the word of God and study it out for ourselves. And so do you, are you honest with the word of God? Let, let it dwell within you. Memorize it. Study it. Read it. Notice number three is we betray when we hide the gospel. When we hide the gospel. He says, through the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Look at verse number three. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You see, what's happened in America is this, in our churches is we've taken the good news of the gospel, the fact that this world all around us can be reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ, and what have we done? We begin to hide it behind our backs. Begin to hide it from the world around us, and what do we do? We get the mentality of let's just hunker down until Jesus comes. Can I just say that is a bad outlook on the Christian life. God doesn't want you to be on the defensive, but he wants you to be on the offensive to get out there and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because while you may be hunkering down, them out there that are lost in need of salvation are going to burn and die and go to hell because we just simply hunker down in our church and in our pew because we've gotten comfortable. And so we betray the ministry when we choose willingly and willfully to hide the good news of the gospel. Let me ask you tonight, do you have a burden for the lost? How about that family member that's on their way to hell? Do you have a burden for them? How about that neighbor that's unsaved? How about that coworker? Do you have a burden for the lost? The Bible says this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Yet many times what happens is we get fearful, if we're all honest. We get afraid of how people will respond. We maybe have had some bad experiences of people lashing out because we try to share the gospel. And what begins to happen because of those, we begin to be a little bit ashamed and we begin to hide it. You see, we're all, we all get there. We all have those moments of fear to share 
the gospel. But when we share the gospel, it must be done in the power of God and not in our own strength and allow the Spirit of God to do the work far more than what we could do. That's why in verse number seven he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so we hide the gospel. The last two New Year's Eve, my wife and I at, with the teens at our church there in LaSalle, we've done an all-nighter. How many like all-nighters, all right? How many think we're crazy for doing all-nighters, all right? Who would willfully choose to stay up all night, with, especially with a group of smelly and crazy teens, right? But we decided to do that. And so we did an all-nighter, and we had all the games planned. And we did it the first year. It went really good. The second year, it, it went good as well. And what's amazing is that, especially when it comes to, to teenagers, I don't know what it is, Pastor, but when they're kids, they seem to understand rules of games. Then Brother Charles, when they become adults or young adults, they still understand it. But then when you get to those teenage years, what happens is it seems like all knowledge of any game or any common sense goes out the door. You could explain the simple game of dodgeball to teenagers, okay? I kid you not. All right, you take this ball, throw it at that team. If they get hit, they're out. Any questions? Hands all over. It's not that hard. You take a ball and you throw it and you get them out. And so it, no matter what game it is, it could be the simple game. It could be a, a, a really difficult game. No matter what or no matter how well you explain that, I guarantee one or two or maybe three or more teens will raise their hand with some kind of question, okay? And I tell you what, in an all-nighter, it, it wears on you. And so I tried, to, I tried to explain some different games and there are some games that I would try and I would embarrass myself because it didn't go over real well. And so I was finally over with it. Krista could attest to this. I was done with it. I said, man, this is only two hours in and I'm already ready to go home and go to bed. And so the games just weren't going well. The teenagers, for some reason, were having a hard time understanding it. So I said, Brother Morris, I said, forget it. I said, we're going to play hide and seek in the church building. So we have a, a big church building and also a gymnasium with a bunch of classrooms for the Christian school. And so I said, everything is open and it's free game. Just don't go into the rooms that are marked with, with caution tape. Don't go in there because uh, there's breakable things in there. And so sure enough, we picked the, the first game. The first round comes and a couple people count and the rest of them go and hide. And so as about 10, 15 minutes or so go by, there's a few of them that aren't found and they're having a hard time finding them. I thought, well, I know some of the good hiding places, so I'll go and look and see if they found those, and that's where they're hidden. But I couldn't see them. And I thought, man, these, these kids are, are in some good spots. There's two teenage boys that were hidden behind some, under the baptistry behind a bunch of Christmas trees. And then there was another girl that, for some reason, she was, it, was, it, it was her senior year. For some reason, she was not able to be found. And the first game went, and... And it, I mean, I thought, man, these two boys and this girl, they've got a really good hiding place. And so the next, next round says, I said, hey, they've got a good place. Let's leave them there and let's start a new round because all the other ones were getting antsy. They said, man, let's forget them and let's just move on. And so we go to game number two, pick two new people to count, and the rest of them go hide. 10, 15 minutes or so pass by. And it seems like everybody's found except those two boys and that one girl. And so again, it happened, Pastor. I said, you know what? Let's start a new game. Everybody else was again antsy and ready to, to, to move on. And so 
Third game comes, pick a new two. And then what happened is these two found the two boys hidden under the, under the, the baptistry, uh, under the platform behind those Christmas trees. But there was still one unaccounted for. I thought, man, this girl ought to enter the Olympics for hide and seek. She's just that good. Said these guys, these girls, they have nothing on this girl. She, she's just must be really good. Her parents must have taught her at a young age how to play hide and seek. And so about 35, 40 minutes or so have gone by in this, 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 by the time we played that third game. So from game number one to the middle of game number three, all of a sudden in the middle of that game, after most of them have been found, somebody runs up to me and say, Josh, say, she's been in this cabinet stuck and couldn't get out. What had happened is she climbed in a metal cabinet that had the most of the shells except the top one removed. And so she was a small, petite girl. And so what she did, she climbed in there and closed the door. But somehow it had latched and she couldn't unlatch it. And so I thought, man, how do you call the, her dad and say, hey, your daughter's died. She was hiding in hide-and-go-seek. That's a tough call to make. And I'm thankful I didn't have to make it. But she had hidden so well, but really, I thought that she, was, she chose that spot, but really she was locked in there, and she couldn't get out. And so we finally let her out, and, and she caught her breath, and she was thankful to be out of there. She was getting a little bit nervous, had, had gone on and on. And what was crazy is there was another teenager that hid in that same room, and she tried calling out to him and said, hey, hey, I'm in here, but they didn't hear him. Here, they didn't hear her. And so what had happened is she got locked in that, that little filing cabinet drawer thing. But you know what, as I think about that, oftentimes we treat the gospel kind of similar. We put it in, close the door, and we lock it. Unwilling to share. Or maybe because of some circumstance, we say, ah, I don't know how they're going to respond. And so what happens is we begin to hide the gospel. Let me, let me ask tonight, are you hiding the gospel? Do you have that burden for the loss that you should have, or maybe has it waned in your life, the fact that you begin to, in your own life, hide that good news? Notice third, and then we'll be done, is notice the ministry bandit. The ministry bandit. If you watched Westerns at, at all, the word bandit uh, rings a bell, doesn't it? By the way, the bandit is not the good guy, okay? In case you didn't know that. Notice verse number four. Who's the ministry bandit? In whom the God of this world, that's Satan. He's the prince of the power of the heirs. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so we now, now we find that not only sometimes by our own making and our own doing we hide the gospel, but now we find there's somebody else that's pinned against really all of humanity, and it's this, Satan. He desires nothing more than to take souls with him to hell. He desires nothing more than for people to reject the good news of the gospel and never accept that free gift of salvation. And so we find that Satan tries to deceive, to destroy and to dominate. What does Satan do? He blinds the minds of those that are unsaved. I like to call them satanic blinders that Satan puts up. That he tries to get them through maybe tough home circumstances to reject the gospel. 
maybe a bad encounter with a quote-unquote Christian that they had, that they say, I don't want what they had to offer me. And so he tries by many, many means to blind the eyes of those that are unsaved. And so now the question is, is how do those blinders come off? If 1 Timothy 2.1 says that intercession should be made for all men, that we must bind the strong man according to Mark 3, the question is, how does that happen? How do the blinders come off? Well, it's found in that word, intercession. You see, the battle to remove and to be an effective witness in our lives is one on our knees. By pleading with God, Holy Spirit of God, would you remove the blinders that are blinding the minds of those all around me? Oh, Spirit of God, would you remove the blinders from my coworker? Would you remove the blinders from my friend, my, my uh, family member? Oh, God, would you remove the blinders? You see, the battle is won when we get down on our knees and we plead with God that he would battle on our behalf against the God of this world because we can't do it in our own strength and we can't do it on our, in our own power. Satan is far much more stronger than we, but I have good news for you tonight, that God is more powerful than he. And so we must get down on our knees and beg the Spirit of God, God, would you open their eyes to the need of the gospel? God, would you remove the blinders or any hindrances that is keeping them from accepting the good news of the gospel? And so how do we shine the light that God has called us to shine? How do we become more effective? I want to give you just four practical ways, then we'll, we'll close. The first is we must pray fervently for the lost. Pray fervently for the lost. Maybe it would be a good thing for us as a church to grab a, maybe a map of the city of Tower Hill, Pena, Shelbyville, and other of the small communities around here and begin to pray over those cities. And ask, Spirit of God, would you go before us and help us to be effective in these areas with the gospel and remove those satanic blinders. Maybe write the name of a loved one. Share it with other believers in this room, in this church, and ask, hey, would you pray that so-and-so would come to know Christ and never give up until they do? How about it, those that maybe are farmers, you're stuck in a field, especially during this time. Say, I... I'm too busy with, with the field, but there is one thing that you can do. You can pray that the Spirit of God would remove those blinders. Maybe those that have a tough work schedule or those that maybe can't necessarily go door to door like they once, once were able to, maybe because of age or maybe a physical ailment, but you can all pray for the lost. You may not be able to go out, but you can pray. So let me ask you, would you be willing to commit to this thing of praying for the lost and pleading with God to remove those blinders until that individual trusts Christ. See, there's no telling what God can do if we first, before we go out and share the gospel, if we first get down on our knees and beg and plead with the Spirit of God to go before us, and then we go out. And I guarantee it that you'll begin to see more effectiveness out there in your witness based on the fact that you're seeking the Lord to fight with you and before you. Next is to share the gospel. Share the gospel. Maybe by the end of this year, you would commit to the Lord and say, Lord, would you help me to share the gospel with, let's just start small, with one person. 
Lord, in the next, next couple months, Lord, would you open up a good door to share the gospel with somebody that you are burdened for? So we must not hide it. We must share the gospel actively. And so keep sowing the seed. Keep seeing the harvest that needs to be, uh, to be reaped. And go out and share that gospel. Allow the compassion in your heart to move you to action. Notice the third is ask the Spirit of God to burden you for the lost. Jesus himself was moved with compassion. Romans 10, 14 through 16 says, How will they hear without a preacher? And see, every one of us tonight have been entrusted with ministry. And so now with that responsibility, we must ask, Oh, Spirit, would you help me? Help me to be burdened for the lost. Help me to see that friend, that family member, that coworker, that stranger that I see on the street the way that you do, lost and in need of a Savior. Ask the Spirit of God to help you, to burden you, to empower you to be bold. Acts 1.8, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. How? Why? That you can be witnesses. Do it through His power, not your own. The last is don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. See, now verses 8 through 18 begin to be more real. Because there are discouraging moments in this attempt to be the effective witness that God has called us to be. Maybe it's a door slammed in your face. Maybe it's somebody that says, hey, don't talk to me anymore. Maybe it's somebody that is just rude and wants nothing to do with God, with the gospel. But can I just say, in the midst of you sharing the gospel, we're not called to see the direct results, but God has called us to simply be obedient. And with that in mind, God will bless your obedience. You may not always see the fruit of that attempted witness with that person, but God always and oftentimes blesses you in other ways that opens up other doors to share the gospel with other people that are in need. So we are called to be obedient. So don't be discouraged as you are attempting to share the gospel. Those that may reject, those that may not want anything to do with it, but may we be obedient and be encouraged in the Lord and leave the results up to Him. So let me ask you tonight, as we've been entrusted with ministry, are we letting our light shine for Jesus Christ? Every head bowed and eye.